The following programme contains content that some listeners may find upsetting and is intended for a mature audience. Now on Documentary News Talk, produced by independent producer Susan Dennehy, Irish travellers share their memories of school and reveal the racism that existed in the Irish education system in The White Line. Yeah, I remember my first day of school and it was um, a traveller-only school. So actually what would happen is you'd be collected from the site. So you'd go out to all the sites to collect all the traveller children and would be boys and young girls. It was a huge school but it was it was divided. There was say at the back of the school there was three separate rooms for travellers. So travellers come in the back way and the settled kids come in the front way. The word apartheid, translated, literally means to set apart or to separate. We usually associate apartheid with the racist regime that existed in South Africa for much of the 20th century. There was a divide between you and the settled child. So there was white lines, you know, like tape going across. So the settled kids were on one line over on one side of the yard and travellers were on the other side of the yard. It isn't widely known, but Ireland had its own version of apartheid. Not that long ago, the state education system segregated Irish children based on their ethnicity. You weren't allowed to look at a settled child. Um, and any time you went very near that white line, because, you you know, as a young child, you were very kind of suspicious and wondering, what, what does a settled kid do? And... Uh, and if we were caught near that white line, actually, you were slapped with a ruler. From the 1960s up until the 2000s, many Irish traveller children attended segregated classes in schools where they were not allowed to mix with settled children. I did once, once I did. And um, yeah, so I went to the white line and they were playing scotch. And she said, Would you like to join? And I said, Yes. And so I joined and um, playing scotch and then the nun came over and dragged me. So I never went near that white line again. In addition to being isolated, traveller children in these classes received little or no formal teaching or learning. Often ignored and humiliated, they were treated as second-class citizens in what was a state-sanctioned system. Obviously, on a personal level, I went to schools that were segregated and that as, as, as a traveller you would be separated from the general population um, and I have a number of examples of that it wasn't just one it wasn't that this was a you know a, a story of one school um, and therefore it was an exception this was a systematic approach in which traveller children were um, se- segregated based on identifying as an Irish traveller and put into a school system particularly for travellers. The nature of the discrimination experienced by Irish travellers in Irish schools is shocking. It is similar to how other Indigenous people across the world have been treated. And it has been repeatedly called out as state-sanctioned racism by the Irish traveller community. I remember I met somebody from South Africa, um, a good friend of mine, and she was in a segregated school and it was just incredible that her story and my story 
were just so similar. The only difference was I'm white, Irish traveller, and racism seems to be something that, you know, happens everywhere, you know, internationally, but it never happened in Ireland. That was Bernard Joyce of the Irish Traveller Movement. My name is Christine Collins and I'm an actor and an Irish traveller. I am 35 years old and although school had its challenges for me as an Irish traveller, school for my parents' generation was brutal and humiliating. But why were Irish schools segregated in the first place? The simple answer is that this was part of the Irish government's plan to settle and assimilate Irish travellers. We see this in black and white in the Commission on Itinerancy report that was published in 1963. That report recommended a system of special traveller schools and the creation of special traveller classes. The experience of the traveller children who went to those schools and classes remains largely unknown and unacknowledged. These are their stories. Hi, my name is Max Casey. I'm from Limerick City. I was born and reared in Limerick City. Actually, when I, when I was born, uh, I, my father didn't actually have a cot for me, so we lived in a, a wagon. And actually, he made a cot out of a horse's collar for me, a bale of straw, and um, that was my cot, and I was reared in there. So I am a proud uh, member of the traveller community. Mags Casey Ryan lives in Limerick, and she is the coordinator of the Tipperary Rural Traveller Project where she has developed and runs a family learning programme, an education programme for traveller children. I suppose growing up as a, as a young traveller girl, I was very, very happy in the community that I, that I grew up with. And I suppose no money in the world could buy what I had. I had a father that was my king, and he taught me about morals, principles, integrity, honesty, loving and caring. The Family Learning Programme aims to provide traveller children with the support, self-esteem and skills that they need to achieve their potential. My father wanted me to always have a very good education, so I always tried to fulfil his expectation of me. And I wanted a good education as well. Mags and her siblings were the first generation in her family to go to school. My mother and father never went to school in their life. Neither could read or write. But my father was extremely intelligent and the experience we had at the time was Mary Robinson was the president of Ireland and she'd come to visit South Hill and our site, which was Clonglong, South Hill and Limerick. And my father had a very, um, I suppose the word was, you know, he really honoured Mary, Mary Robinson. He really respected her and held her in very high regard. And she said, Mr. Casey, you'll make sure that the young girls will get a good education. And I said, yes, madam, I will. Mags's father kept his promise to Mary Robinson. And in 1977, at four years of age, Mags started at the Salesian Primary School in Limerick, one of many traveller-only schools throughout the country at the time. Yeah, the education I, I got was, you know, you... Very basic, very basic. The levels of expectations were not big. You know, really an Anna Barry book. A child, if you could be in a class, you could be five or six, and there could be a young boy or girl there, 12 or 13. Everybody was at the one level, Anna Barry books. 
and colouring in. Not all traveller children were in traveller only classes, but it was difficult to enrol a traveller child in a mainstream class. Margaret Collins went to St Joseph's Primary School in Navan from 1985 to 1992. Her mother ensured she was in a mainstream class, but she remembers the traveller only class in her school. No, they did separate the traveller children from the settle in the yard, the classrooms. There was one classroom that was specially for travellers, age 5 to 14. Once they didn't leave the room, they could do what they wanted in that room, mess about, you know, play games. Where when you're in the normal classroom, you're very structured. Your day is structured. You have a teacher there until you go home. When you go into this class, even at the time, it was chaos. Do you know, like the desks weren't in the pattern that was in every other part of the school. Do you know, there was two and two and two and they were all lined rigidly in three or four lines across the classroom and they could not be moved. In this classroom, they were all over the place. Do you know, they were, it, was just, it was just chaos. But at the time, it was fun and games for the children who was going in there. Of course, like, you do anything to get out last when you were younger. You'd sweep the halls if you had to, you know, just to get that break. None of us ever wanted to be in class all day reading and writing. So, of course, this appealed. The irony is that most traveller children preferred the traveller-only class. At least here, they were among their own and they didn't have to face the racist attitudes of the settled children and teachers. In my own experience, I noticed it around first class, so it would have been about seven, eight, Every desk that time there was two, two students per desk. Um, 90% of the time we get to pick who we want to sit beside. I was put to the back on my own a lot of the time. If nobody wants to sit beside me, that was okay. But at that time I was only traveling in my class. So yeah, it was, it all depended on the day, you know, it depended how the settled girls were feeling, if they wanted to sit with you or not. If they didn't want to sit with you, like they were allowed to not sit with you. But it had kind of be brought out in a way that having this amount of space for you is great. But it wasn't. You were on your own. Like, you were still on your own, even though you are in a class full of pupils. You know, it's like everything. You know it's not right. Like, you're young. As I said, you're only a child. And you know it's not right. But, you know, you, just, you get through the day. and Because you didn't question people of authority. So you just went with it. The first children from my community to go to school were particularly vulnerable within a system designed by and for the settled population. Owen Ward is a 63-year-old. He went to school in Tuman Galway from 1966 until 1977. Right, my name is Owen Ward, from Tuman, all my life. As a matter of fact, I was born in American Road and I didn't find out until a good few years back when you get the birth certificate, I was born in the front room of the house. And I was the only one born in the front room, all the rest of them were born in the hospital. And the, ones, the other ones were born on the roadside. Uh, mother died early, uh, before I was eight years of age. There was three younger than me, and there was eight older than me. But I didn't know when I was growing up that the difference in me my uncle had never talked about the dim in us. He never says, listen, we're members of the traveling community. That, that, that was never spoken in my house. I think it's very small-minded people that will come along and talk about the neighbour 
or talk about somebody else. You know what I mean? Small-minded people talk about people. Good-minded and decent-minded people will talk about ideas and plans. I'd love to say that uh, there were, I had a good experience in school. No, I had a better experience in secondary uh, than I did have in, in uh, primary school. I mean, when you're a child, the world is off, man. You know what I mean? And everybody around it is very, very big. Owen was in the Traveller Only class in the Mercy Convent School until first class. Then in 1968, he moved to the Christian Brothers School in Tume. Traveller children were not segregated here, but Owen continued to be isolated and mistreated. Your landing school, uh, books never had any. Now, in the Mercy I had, all I was going up into the Brothers, all I had was two copies and pens. Pencils, that was it. No, there were no wires allowed, of course. But when I went into the school after the weekend, it was all the children get ratified, and you have the smart over here, you have this guy, and this guy, you have another row, you have four rows, you have sometimes three, and then you have the seat down the back. Now the seat down the back or the table down the back had four seats, two to the side, two to the side, facing each other. Not allowed to look at the blackboard, not allowed to be distracting the students. You could, there you are, we went to school, and you're looking at each other, and you have a blank piece of paper, and here, draw something, or write something, or do something. But um, not fond memories after my almost there. Indeed, horrible memories sometimes. So from 1963 onwards, we see that segregation was systematic, and the traveller-only schools and classes were normalised. If a traveller child did find themselves in a mainstream class, they often experienced persistent racism daily. But there were also schools that refused to take traveller children at all. So my name is Bernard Joyce. I am the director of the Irish Traveller Movement. I was born an Irish traveller. I live as an Irish traveller. My family, my father's family, we lived on the roadside. and, And as part of that, we lived within our community. I, like, I just want to start and say, look, I really believe the importance of education. Um, I believe it can liberate free people. It has the opportunity to transform people's lives. Um, and I know that my experience of education was very different. At age four, Bernard remembers going by bus from his home in Finglas to a traveller running school in Dublin city centre. This was the first of four Irish traveller-only schools he would attend. One of these was a traveller-only class in St Joseph's Primary School in Finglas, which was an all-girls school. This was a uniquely humiliating experience for young traveller boys in 1983. I was in a school where there was a special class, and you had a special class within an all-girls school, because the boys' school wouldn't take the traveller boys in. And it was really shocking to see, in some areas, the schools that were for boys wouldn't take travel boys in. And that's how, that's really how embedded that is, that that level of racism was, um, where we found ourselves in all girls' schools. It was really difficult because now you're in this class and you, you might be the only boy or a number of boys, but you, you wouldn't have any interaction across the school. So you can imagine how people would feel, and particularly even... I recall that you'd have different play types. So even within that, in some cases you might even see a settled child. You'd come out at a certain time, you would go in, you'd come out. So you were out of sight, out of mind. So you weren't seen 
or heard. And, you know, and there was that, that sense of like, they, they really do wanted you co- to be completely detached. And so it was always my world and this other world. Apart from segregation, there were other systematic degrading practices that were specific to traveller children in Irish schools. Margaret vividly remembers an experience she had in second class in St. Joseph's Primary School in Navan in 1988. I could have been about nine. I think it was seven when I made my communion, so it was about eight or nine. And um, prior to me going to school, my mother went into hospital the day before. And she always had this thing, as my uniform had to be set out every night, along with the brothers. But she had this thing, I had red and green ribbons. Our uniform was green, so every day she would alternate between the ribbons from Monday to Friday. And my hair had to be done a certain way. She'd never let me go to school with my hair down because she had this thing that we would get, like, knits or lice, you know, if your hair was down because it can happen in schools. So she was very particular. You know, my tie had to be proper, my socks had to be up to my knees and everything anyway was laid out and she was she was sick. She went to hospital. So my brother got me up the next morning, my brothers, older brothers, and I just remember him doing my hair in two ponytails. It could be two ponytails, two plaits, she didn't mind once it was tied up. And he fixed the ribbons in it. So anyway, off I went to school. But we were doing the morning prayer that we had to do every morning since we started school. With the There was a nun teaching me at the time. And everybody was in the class. And a knock comes to the door and I was called out. Like the, the person at the door asked the teacher at the time, could that remove me from the class? She called my name out in front of everyone that was wanted. So as soon as she said who I was wanted by, everybody in that classroom knew where I was going and so did I. Um, I didn't want to go, but again, you didn't question. So they brought me down to the shower room and it was really a cold, miserable, damp, never forget a green marble with speckles, horrible horrible cold place to be and there was other travel girls there um, I was told to get into the shower a cold shower and I remember I kept asking why and I was explaining to him that I got washed I was washed that morning before I went to school and my hair was done and you know there was no reason for me to be brought into the shower, there was no reason for any of the girls no one used to wash my hair and my mother you know and she used to put this cold Vaseline hair tonic in my hair and stuff but um, my hair was wet. My ribbons were gone. And anyway, I was put back to class. So of course when I went in, everybody was staring at me because they knew I was after being in the showers. The fact that I was sitting in class with wet hair, so then I felt all, you know, like there was something. I just kept crying, crying. And I had to sit in that chair until three o'clock. I have to be honest, that was the worst time through the whole of primary. And when I went home, my mother was, was home from hospital that day and I told her what happened. She knew them and I walked in the room. My uniform was, like, I had a new new dress, new jumper, pinafore. The whole lot was, was gone. So, yeah, she marched to school the next morning. And she gave out hell to the principal, the cleaning lady at the time who used to do the showers, and my own teacher. And it never happened.
for the length of time until I was in finished primary. It never happened again. Yeah, it was that one time. But I don't think if she didn't go in, it probably would have happened on a weekly basis, twice, three times. Whatever amount of times they would do it, bring the other children down. But it only happened then once for me, so I was lucky in a sense, you know. Showering traveller children without their consent or the consent of their parents didn't only happen in Navan. It was a practice that took place at schools all over the country, including Desolation Primary School in Limerick, where Mags Ryan and her sister attended. And then they'd have two certain days where you'd be power washed, and that would be of a Tuesday and a Thursday. Um, but like our, our parents and my mother and father, and we had a huge amount of skills in terms of hygiene, so we were always spotless, but we were always took out and, and power hosed. Uh, it would be like, you know, one of them power hoses that fire brigade have now. And uh, so we'd be all, all the girls would be put into, lined up again a shower thing, and we'd be all power washed. And um, all our good clothes. I, well, I would have always had good clothes, me and my sisters. Because, um, you know, we just always had great clothes and the baby took off us then and... You know, they'd be, we'd be put, we'd put on rags on us and it was a horrible experience and I never learned a word. Uh, never learned anything in that school. There was an uh, assumption that we were dirty and then we actually internalised that as well, that we must have been dirty for settled people to power wash us in the way that they did. Now, I don't think the nuns were, were conscious of that. And I don't think they deliberately done that either. I just think that was the time and the way of thinking. We'll wash them. We'll bring them in after sites. We'll try and educate them. And um, I think they did, did it out of kindness, but they didn't know their act of cruelness, if you know what I mean. You're listening to The White Line on Documentary on News Talk. We have just walked down here from uh, Mountjoy Square and we're now on Charles Street Great, Great and we're just walking through the gate here into the grounds of uh, Pavy Point Traveller and Roma Centre. Pavy Point Traveller and Roma Centre, the Irish Traveller Movement and other traveller groups have been advocating for the full inclusion and visibility of the travellers in mainstream education for many years. So we're walking through now the main reception area and we have two here who's our receptionist, and the big passion for the nicknames in our community, and I'm on a mission to reclaim them. So that's Toot. My name is Coppers, by the way. Coppers. And this is Willie. He's a settled lad, but he's one, of, he's one of ours now at this stage, almost. Yeah, See, we, so. we've actually assimilated Willie now. <laughs> we've assimilated Willie. Yeah. So they were walking in here, and this is a, this is a hall where we have... My name is Martin Collins and I'm the co-director of Pavy Point Traveller and Roma Centre, and I have been involved in the Traveller struggle since 1985. I was actually born in Manchester. Uh, my parents emigrated there in the 60s, obviously in search of a better life and um, better economic opportunities. Uh, but my parents uh, didn't really like Manchester, didn't stay very long, so returned to Ireland in 1966 when I was about a year old, and then we moved to Finglas in Dublin. And I've been in Finglas, Dublin ever since. I went to school in Finglas. I played for a lot of the local soccer clubs in Finglas. So I'm very much a Finglas person. 
I, I remember actually in Fingless, uh, there was a travel only school on the grounds of St. Joseph's uh, National Girls School. And a Villa Park, which is the second oldest travel group housing scheme in Ireland. All of the travellers from that site, with the exception of my, myself and my brother Michael, went to the Travelroni class. And we get up in the morning and we walk across the sports fields, the soccer fields. And when we get to the crossroads, myself and my brother Michael would go into a mainstream school, St. Kevin Boys National School. The two schools are adjacent to each other. And all our cousins would uh, go into the Travelroni class. And later that afternoon, when we'd be home on the site, the travellers in the Travelroni school would be talking about the crack that they were having, essentially. And it was more like a youth club, actually. And, you know, it was very, it was very recreational. They used to go on trips out to the beach. They'd go to the swimming pool uh, and all sorts of things of that nature. And I remember myself and my brother Michael being very envious, very envious. And we wanted to go to that Travelroni school. And I remember going back to my mother, Winnie, and saying, Winnie, can you transfer us over to the Travelroni uh, class? And she steadfastly refused, steadfastly refused. And we tried to wear Winnie down and to no, no avail. Thankfully, um, our mother, very strong woman, very persistent woman, and actually was very political ahead of her time back in the 70s because it was assumed by everybody, uh, the school community, the principals, that we would go to the travel only class. It was an assumption. But my mother didn't want that. And uh, she battled the authorities and battled very hard to get myself and my brother Michael. We were the only two travellers actually back in the 70s in St Kevin Boyce National School. We went there from 1973 up to 1980. We were seven years there in that primary school. And thankfully to this day now there are many, many other travellers in that school. But myself and my brother Michael were the only two. Now we came out after that six, seven years had the basics. We could read it and write. Right? Our cousins who went for the same duration to the travel only class weren't, weren't able to read and write. My name is Nancy Power. I'm an Irish traveller woman. I'm 54 years of age. I work for an organisation called National Traveller Maps and I'm the coordinator of the project. Nancy grew up in a villa park, the same site in Finglas as Martin Collins. Surrounded by her siblings and community, Nancy as a young child was often innocent of the racism she experienced. Growing up, you don't, you don't see yourself as different, but people see you as different. Like we used to be coming home from school and we would be called knacker. It was just kind of to make us feel that we were lower and more outcast than what we actually felt that we were. But as, as I said, as children, you don't see that. It's when you get older... And you're involved in, in, in the likes of stuff that I'm involved in human rights and trying to promote equal for all. Um, then that you see see all the, the, the stupid things that was being called to you or referred to you as a big thing. Like many traveller children living in Finglas at the time, Nancy attended a traveller only school in the grounds of St. Joseph's Girls National School. I started school in around 72, 73 and I was four. Yeah, there was a good lot of children from the site. Then there was a lot from the halting site down the road. So there, there could be possibly 15, maybe 20 plus travellers in the school at any one time, maybe more. I can, you can look back now and they say hindsight is a great thing. You didn't see yourself as being treated differently at the time. But looking back, there was a huge difference. 
we had our own yard. We were not allowed to mix with, with the settled children. Um, at the time, we thought this was great crack um, because we were mixing with your own. They also set up a shower system. Everybody in the school knew what was happening. Um, now, I think it was done out of a charity model um, and with the best intentions. But looking back now, it was degrading. We didn't know that we were being isolated and that you would come up with your hair half wet. And you would come up with different clothes. Now, Mummy was very particular in our uniforms and she used to get her, our school jumpers knitted every year. And then we would go down with our school uniform, our new clothes and we would come back up with different different ones and then you would not get them the following week there's been murders when we go home I went up through the system and I finished I think it was in 81 or 82 at the age of 11 I don't think anybody cared you were there you were a number you were statistic and you just you came in the in the door and you went out the door as fast as you could at, at six years Expectations were extremely low in terms of what traveller children would achieve and the education system reflected that attitude. There was absolutely no encouragement to continue past primary school. Um, Mummy and Daddy had no clue. They didn't see the benefits of education. Everybody knows education is knowledge. Now I can look back and say that, but at the time, you're 11... So there was no encouragement whatsoever by the state or by the school to encourage you to continue to further education. I think the important thing to say from the outset that uh, segregated education, traveller-only schools and traveller-only classes, this was state policy. Okay, It was designed, supported and implemented by the state. It wasn't at the whim of a principal or a teacher or a member of, of a religious order. This was state-sponsored, institutionalised, segregated education. And many, many of the travellers in these schools and classes had a horrible, horrible experience. Uh, they were in a culture of low expectations. The quality of the teaching was inferior to what was happening in mainstream uh, education. Um, the classes and just the conditions of the classes was inferior to what was in mainstream uh, education. Everything about the travel-only class and the travel-only school was inferior to what was happening for young settled children in mainstream uh, education. It was a humiliating, degrading, racist uh, experience for many travellers who came out at the other end after six, seven years in these not being able to read or write their own name even and like many of these travellers were very bright very intelligent uh, people with great capacity but it was just never nurtured it was never supported it was never encouraged if anything it was actually suppressed I would say They may not have been taught to read or write but one harsh lesson all the children learned was that society did not value them because they were travellers you became really aware of who you were. It was shoved into your face in, in, in a huge way that 
you knew you you were different than other children. And children shouldn't have to experience that. I mean, I am very, very, very proud of who I am. I wouldn't change it for, for the world. But I don't think children should be put in that predicament that they should have to hide who they are. And there's a vast majority of children today, traveller children today, that is in schools, they are not self-identifying. And the mental health problems and issues that them children will face in later life, and if they're not facing them as it is, I just can't comprehend it. I can't understand why people would mistreat another human being because of who they are. Sorry about that, but I'm not supposed to soft now. The lads got me this one, I think, because I keep losing my phone. Yeah, Teresa, I'm out here doing an interview, so I, 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 uh, 15 minutes approx. Okay, that's them looking for me. I'm with her, but this is silent because I can guarantee you my daughter is a ring. The manager of the Western Traveller and Intercultural Development Centre in Tume, County Galway, is a busy man. My name is Mark Moore, I'm from Tume. Uh, I'm about the seventh generation of my family connected with the town of Tume, if not more. I'd be very involved here. I work here in Tume as uh, a community development uh, manager with my uh, focus on youth work and working with young people and trying to encourage them to continue on in education, training, employment, the whole shebang, you know. Martin has very happy memories of growing up in an Irish traveller family. I had a great childhood, great parents, uh, very traditional uh, thing. I came off the side of the road with my family uh, when I was six years of age. And I remember all the storytelling, the songs, uh, tradition, the traditional stuff and the meetings up with family. And uh, there, was, there was wonderful times, I suppose, you know, to, to me. I'm not trying to last them over or anything like that. My father he used to play the Jew harp or the jaw harp, somebody used to call it. My uh, brother, the motor organ, my mother used to do uh, traditional singing as well as my father. Uh, some of my other family members used to do uh, uh, traditional instruments, so there used to be regular singing and music at our house. As with many travellers at the time, Martin's parents wanted their children to have the education they never had. My parents never went to school, they couldn't read and write, but um, uh, the knowledge they had, uh, they were so, my father was so streetwise, he, he knew every townland, every village, every family, uh, every oral history, local history, but uh, they pushed us on to uh, school. My experience overall in school, uh, you always felt you were treated differently. The first years that uh, I went to the presentation, all the travellers were in one yard. We were out at different times. Uh, I remember that all the travellers, and I had older cousins, and some of the cousins at the time, maybe were, I was, let me see, about six years of age, and some of my cousins were maybe 12, and we were all in the one class. And there was around 15 of us, and we, we, were, we, were, we were looked after all right, but uh, he... Martin doesn't like to dwell on the trauma of his school experience. Although it was prohibited from 1982, corporal punishment was not illegal in Ireland until 2015. Physical abuse was common in all Irish classrooms, but traveller children were very often a target. Uh, you remember I used to hit going to the school, especially around religion, I'd be terrified. There was a young novice on, they used to take us out at 12 o'clock for uh, religious studies. I believe in God, if he couldn't say that exactly to her. 
she would come behind you and wallop you right across the face and knock you off the thing. But I think that happened to me about five or six times. I was terrified. I still have problems with that prior today. And you know, uh, it's sad to say, I can still remember her name. I won't bother mentioning people's names. But I met her years later when I was a young man and I felt like giving her a slap in the jaw. I says, uh, I just, she says, how are you doing? I remember, I think I taught you, I said, you, you remember religious class? I says, the cruelty you exhibited to me and some of my cousins. But look, I wasn't the only person that happened, that happened to an awful lot of trouble kids. The lack of teaching and learning along with the beatings meant that for children like Martin, often the only thing they learned was fear. When I left the presentation, I couldn't read and write. I'd often got difficulty even writing my own name. But we were afraid to learn because if we were asked a question by some teachers, you might get a slap. In tune after completing first class, Martin moved on to the Christian Brothers Presentation School, where the brutality persisted. I remember one day Irish, I'd never got any Irish because uh, basically uh, we were always kind of taken out uh, when it came to Irish classes. And I don't know why, I suppose, that time it probably wasn't seen we didn't need Irish. We were bloody Irish people, we should be uh, taught Irish like everybody else. But uh, this brother, there was a bit of a streak in him. And by God, I remember one day uh, an Irish word, uh, some sentence, and I couldn't fathom it, I couldn't understand it. And they come in, the lad, and he says... All right, you were given this work. Could you read it? Explain the sentence to me. And uh, I did some of it. Uh, and he says to me, um, "You were out there for the last twenty minutes. What were you doing?" I said, "I was trying to learn the Irish. Why didn't you learn it? Are you stupid or something?" I remember those words. And he got me and gave me the best five or six hard kicks I ever got in my life. And I was only a young lad. Owen Ward was also at the Christian Brothers School in Tume around this time. He remembers staying silent to avoid punishment. You might know the answer to a question uh, that would have been asked about Jorgen Winscott. You wouldn't open your mouth. Let somebody else uh, answer it. And then you said to yourself, I knew that. But it was like as if there was a nail through your tongue you couldn't speak. And every time you did talk, a punishment shortly followed after it. The cruelty of the brothers not only silenced Owen, but it isolated him as well. Well, it was very, very hard to make friends. Very, very hard to make friends in school. When I was getting punished uh, or part of the class entertainment, you look around the class in the tears and, and you see them all having a stigger or a laugh and some of them were just turning their head away from you. You know what I mean? Uh, as, as if they uh, disgusted the, the teacher's uh, behaviour as, as much as anything else. But uh, that was it. That was, you know, it doesn't... It, you don't get paranoid as such, but you become very reserved in yourself. And it could take a whole lifetime to get out of that. You know what I mean? It could take a long, long time to get out of that. But, uh, yeah, mm, no, anything else. We're talking something else. A hundred miles south of Tume in Limerick City, eight-year-old Mags told her father about how she was being treated in the Salesian Traveller Only School. Still wanting to make good on his promise to Mary Robinson, he made arrangements to move Mags and her sister to the Holy Family Primary School in South Hill, which was a mainstream school. I was so scared going into mainstream education. It was unbelievable. I was like a frightened child. The automatic thing was when you went into the classroom, you were put at the back of the classroom. And that's the first sign and signal that comes into a traveller. 
when you see where you're placed. So me and my sister were in different classes and uh, both were sitting at the back of the class. There were some good things about her time at the Holy Family School. My experience of that school was the settled kids that I went to school with, the vast majority of them kids were really good kids, really good friends. Um, I met four very good teachers in the school and the rest of the teachers were just, they were really, really hard. The idea saw us as subhuman. Me and my sister was the first two drivers to ever go to that school. Mags remembers many occasions where she was singled out and humiliated because of her ethnicity. When I was in mainstream education, I'll give you one example, one of many, but I'll give you this particular one. Even though I grew up with horses or whatever, and everybody have this perception, travellers are be able to catch any pony and whatever. But that was not the case, right? Actually, I could spot wild horses from tamed horses. My sister had a gift. She could go to wild animals as much as tamed animals. But I certainly didn't have to have that gift. So once uh, the principal had come up, called me out of my, my class and said... Stood in front of the door and said, there's knackers horses in the schoolyard. You need to come, Margaret, and get them out. And I was like, no, I'm not going near them. They're wild animals. And I was beaten. I was beaten and flogged until I went out and tried to get the, the wild animals, which I couldn't, had no success. Then she told me that I would pay a price for not doing what she told me to do, and that was hunting out wild horses over the yard. She said that I wouldn't be a part of the show and it was a Christmas show that uh, was going on and I had prepared this lovely song that I wanted to sing. I thought I was a great singer at the time. God knows I wasn't. Um, But I could sing this song and I was so looking forward to playing this song because my father and mother was to come and see the play as well and I had been telling them for weeks beforehand about the play and that I was going to be singing at it so she kept her word and um, that was the hardest part Um, I wasn't allowed I wasn't allowed to sing at the play would you believe it I thought now that I dealt with that Um, and it just brings a tear to my eye Like Mags my community continues to deal with the trauma that was inflicted on traveller children by the Irish education system during decades of segregation. A system that took many years to dismantle. In the 80s, in the mid-80s, things began to change a little bit uh, with the emergence of very strong traveller organisations who began to question the rationale and the need for traveller-only schools and traveller-only classes. And uh, that really was the beginning of the end. It was only in 2021 that the last remaining traveller-only school in Ireland closed its doors. Since then, segregation may officially be a thing of the past, but the dark legacy of that system is far-reaching. 93% of travellers don't complete a secondary school education today. And I left school when I came to sixth. I, I looked for the first opportunity out. I was gone. And my parents didn't stop me. I started working. I was 13 years of age. 
The impact I, I, I suppose it had on me is that it made us feel kind of stupid that you know you couldn't learn anything or, or you know what I mean or like the second kids could understand the stuff we couldn't they could read what we couldn't read but uh, my understanding at that time is um, we weren't given the same opportunities uh, it eroded our confidence in relation to education and how we saw education earlier on I didn't see the importance even for my own children I said what's the point what did it do for me it only made me more stupid at times I thank God where I am today, you know, it made me stronger and I think we can't live in the past, but we can look at the past and uh, I think looking at the past can direct us towards our future. Despite some positive developments, like travellers being consulted on the current traveller education strategy, no member of the traveller community has ever received an acknowledgement or an apology from the Irish state for the way that they were treated in Irish schools. I think the state has a lot to answer for. Uh, I really do. They were the main instigators of supporting and sustaining an institutionalised, segregated education service for travellers, which, as I say, has done a huge amount of damage uh, to our people. And I, I think the state has a lot to answer for. And to be quite frank about it, I think there needs to be an inquiry, a commission of inquiry into this. The wrong, the damage... Uh, that they have uh, inflicted on our people over many, many decades. I describe myself as self-educated. I don't, wouldn't give any credit in any way to the educated system because I had to leave at a young age um, and doing that I went on to start to do further education. Do you know, but for, any, for other young travellers it shouldn't be like that. It should be that he had the opportunity to get that education within the school that he attended. I don't know how, in God's name, how I end up going back and doing further education. When I got that diploma, I was on top of the world. And I mean that. And when I went to graduate, it was seeing the joy in... My mummy and daddy's face, it was absolutely fantastic. I don't know whether it's pride or it's just a thing to say that I'm as good as you. The White Line was produced by Susan Dennehy. The narrator was Christine Collins. The final mix was by Moynihan Russell. The documentary was funded by Commission Naman with a television licence fee. For more documentary on Newstalk, visit Newstalk.com.